Nothing like good old dad jokes. Kids really have a way of lifting you up, don't they, dads? I got to go back to about 1998. I think Nicholas was about, well, he's Nick now. He was Nicholas then. He was about four years old. He's still Nicholas to Pam. And uh, he was in a car seat behind me. I was driving him somewhere. And uh, he's jabbering the whole way. And I'm just saying, yep, yep, yep. And he's saying, um, I'm probably going to be just like you when I, when I grow up. He said, I'm going to drive a car like you. And I said, yep. And uh, he said, I'm going to have a job and go to work like you. And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm going to walk like you. I'm probably going to talk like you. And he's just going on and on. And he said, I'm even going to look like you. And uh, I'm feeling pretty good at this point. All the things he's got me pretty pumped up. And he's quiet for a minute. Then he said, except for that hair growing out of your ears, I ain't going to have any of that. wasn't that old of a man at the time, but uh, ever since then, there's something else to groom. <laughs> so if you don't know, uh, you know, I'm going to get this stand here. I grew up in uh, North Canton, and it was just a few miles from the Hall of Fame. Is that still good? okay um, so my friends and I used to ride our bike to the Hall of Fame this was uh, probably fifth or sixth grade in the summer we had uh, just a couple of us you know you get bored and it's only a few miles so we'd uh, ride our bikes there and this was before the Hall of Fame is what it is today didn't have all these additions there was you know one building and uh, it didn't have all the holographic exhibits it has now, what, nothing high-tech, the, you know, uh, video technology at that time was Pong, so there wasn't anything that interesting, but they had a theater in the basement, and they had um, uh, air conditioning, which most of us didn't have, so we'd spend a good part of a day in the summer there, and I remember going during the weekday sometimes, we'd be the only ones in there, and so we had so much fun hanging out in the basement and watching the old football movies, and uh, my mom would always say, what do you want to go and look at someone's old jockstrap for? That's what she thought was there. <laughs> but they did have neat things uh, that we used to uh, like to go and look at over and over. And uh, as I got older, my kids enjoyed it. We, we would take them to the Hall of Fame. We almost missed no parades, except for last year when they didn't have one. Um, I like to read a lot in the repository articles about the Hall of Fame, new things that are going on. Um, it's interesting every year. It's, it's kind of a dramatic thing. They have a, uh, a committee of people, mostly sports writers, who vote on who gets inducted into the Hall. And they have a, uh, you know, a big list of names that gets whittled down to semifinalists and then finalists. And on the day of the Super Bowl, they announce who uh, is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame the next year. And, um, What's even more interesting to me is that you start reading about people who, who, who get snubbed. They even talk about Clay Matthews the last few years. He's got, you know, more tackles and more interceptions and fumbles than uh, all these other linebackers that are in the Hall of Fame, yet he's not in. And a couple years ago, Jerry Kramer got in. He waited 50 years 
to get in. And uh, some of the people pass away before they get inducted, and their families make these, you know, impassioned pleas uh, for them and all their statistics and all the reasons why they should be in the hall. And it's uh, just very interesting to me. I started thinking uh, about having a hall of faith instead of a hall of fame. And uh, I imagine all the statues that you'd see in a hall of, hall of faith. And uh, uh, so one, one of the jokes up here, uh, they mentioned, uh, no, I can't think of it, Goliath. And I was thinking, what if you had the slingshot in that rock or something, you know, as an exhibit, how cool it would be and to have, you know, movies and, and to be able to read history about people uh, that would be in the hall of faith. They might even have an air-conditioned basement. Kids would ride their bikes there in the summer and hang out. I don't know. But I was thinking there would be different wings. You'd have different, different types of heroes in the Hall of Fame. And um, I thought there should be a wing just for fa fathers. And I thought of HOF, Humble Obedient Fathers. So I was telling Nick about it, and he said, you should probably have Noah right up front. He had his kids build a pretty good boat. And I said, yeah, I couldn't even get you to make your bed. He said, well, I guess you're not in then. <laughs> we talked about Joseph, how he would obviously be in, in the father's wing of the Hall of Fame. And what better example of somebody who was humble and obedient and put everything aside to uh, uh, care for a son that he was told was the son of God. So I put that to you. Who would you nominate? And I'm not just talking about heroes of the Bible, but the, the heroes that we have in our midst. Your, your fathers, uh, who would you nominate for the Hall of, Fame, Hall of Faith in the Father's Wing? And if you have a chance you know, to, to make a list and note some people, the, the kids also mention their spiritual fathers and grandfathers and other, other people who have guided them. So imagine who would be in that wing of the Hall of Faith. Today I want to talk about Jairus, if you would turn to Mark chapter 5 and verse 21, 21 is where we're going to start. So when they first had uh, the Hall of Fame, I think it was maybe 1966 it started, and they had an, an initial class, and that's the that's the... The first people they were going to induct, and they were the most important. So, you know, we talked about Noah or Joseph, and uh, my nominee uh, for the initial class in the Hall of Faith in the Father's Wing would be Jairus. So, uh, starting again in Mark chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd had gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak 
because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned, in the round, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, and he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when he came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. He went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So I thought it was such an interesting story about Jairus, and again, I want to nominate him in, 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 as a member of the Hall of Faith in the Father's Wing. So the scripture said he was a synagogue leader, uh, and he was a ruler, and each, each uh, synagogue had like 23 judges, and he was probably one of the judges. And I was thinking about the judges in our society and the respect they get, how you stand when they enter uh, a courtroom and you call them your honor and in that time the judges even had more power not people normally known for the humility and obedience that I think is required to be in the hall of faith at the beginning the, the text talked about Jesus going to the other side of the lake referring to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee which is where Jairus was from and it was a city called Gadara a place where Jesus was not generally welcomed. So this is why Jairus gets in the hall. He's a hall of faith father because nothing was more important to him than his little daughter. Not his reputation or what people would think of him, not what the other leaders in the synagogue, what he knew they thought about Jesus. And he didn't care about what this moment might do to his position in the community. We read verse 22 kind of nonchalantly sometimes. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. We just, I, I, I've read those words over and over. But if you could try to picture one of our leaders today falling at the feet of Jesus. The scripture says he pleaded earnestly. So it, it, was, it was an intense conversation with him. It shows his humility and it shows his love for his child. 
And then next we see his faith. In, in verse 23, Jairus says, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed. If you notice, he, he doesn't say, is there anything you can do? He doesn't say, could you help her? He says, put your hands on her and I know she will be healed. It's a testament of his faith and a reason why he should be in the hall of faith. Continuing on again in verse 24, it says, So Jesus went with him. So you can imagine the hope. He, he, he pleads earnestly with him, and Jesus says, Okay, I'll, I'll come with you. And they start to go. So he's got to feel so hopeful at, at this moment compared to how hopeless he had just felt the moment before. And they're on the way to his house. And it talks about the crowd growing closer. I imagine like a movie star you'd see today and how they press in and follow them and take pictures. And uh, in some ways, these people were like that. Not so much uh, followers or believers in Jesus, but just wanting to see miracles. And then this woman, probably considered unclean, definitely not allowed to approach a man in this society, pushes through just to touch his clothes. And she's healed. It's an awesome healing. It's an awesome story sandwiched in between the story of Jairus. But Jesus stops in verse 30. It says, At once he realized the power had gone from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? And so I'm thinking, uh, putting myself in Jairus' position right now, what's he thinking? He's, he's, he's in the middle of getting his daughter healed. I can imagine him watching this unfold and uh, he'd, be, he'd be like, hey, excuse me, you know, I, I got Jesus. So, you know, we're on, we're on the way to my, there's my house right there. I'm sure he's telling Jesus, you know, this lady's been bleeding for 12 years. Can you wait 10 minutes and come back? And Obviously, he's waiting patiently for Jesus. He's got to be nervous and anxious on the inside. And then people come out of his house, so they must be in sight of his house that close to getting his daughter healed. And the people come out and say, it's too late. Forget it. He hears the words, your daughter's dead. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. So I put myself in Jairus' shoes in this drastic up and down and roller coaster of emotions that he must be going through during this story. And Jesus knows that, and he just says, keep the faith. And humble and obedient, Jesus stays with Jesus. Jairus stays with Jesus, even as the mourners laugh at him. He goes in with Peter and James and James' brother John. They take the child by the hand, says, Talita kum. And the little girl rose up and was healed. And Jesus gave strict orders for them to tell no one and to give the girl something to eat. I think back then and today as well, we pay a lot of attention to healings and miracles. And Jesus doesn't want us to miss the ultimate point of eternal salvation. Jairus will eventually die. His 12-year-old daughter will eventually die. But if they recognize that Jesus was the Christ and not just a miracle worker, then they will live forever. 
So I believe that's the faith that's shown in this passage and the circumstances in each of their lives. The woman who was bleeding and Jairus had their circumstances caused them to be in fear. But their level of faith caused them to overcome. Jesus did the healing, but they knew that he would. And sometimes we don't have that level of faith until we, were, we are desperate. They were both desperate. He knew his daughter was on her deathbed, didn't care about anything else. She, the woman had tried everything else with doctors, spent everything she had. She obviously had some wealth and it was gone. Sometimes we need that desperate level of faith that Jairus had. So Jairus, this Father's Day, enters the Hall of Faith. And I would just like our fathers to stand today. I want to induct some other people into the Hall of Faith. If you uh, fathers would stand just for a minute, please. Mike, this includes you. You're already a dad today. Uh, life has begun and you're the dad, so stand up, please. You okay, John? Okay. So by the power vested in me by the state, I shall induct you into the most esteemed and prestigious Father's Wing of the Hall of Faith. <laughs> if the rest of you would please extend your hands towards these men. Fathers, I ask you to repeat after me. I will walk in faith before my children. Was horrible. <laughs> Some of you may have to sit back down. Um, okay, this, this next one should be a little more simple. Uh, I will be an example of obedience to the Holy Spirit. I'll be an example of obedience to the Holy Spirit. Amen. I will pray for my children every day. I'm a man of righteousness. I'm a man of integrity. I have the humility of Joseph. I have the obedience of Noah. And I have the desperate faith of Jairus in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now all come up here and join me for a picture. Thank you.